0: Welcome to Faith Center Foursquare Church's message of the week. For more information on the church or ministry, head on over to our website, eurekafaithcenter.org, or find us on Facebook or Instagram. Now, we hope you enjoy this message. I'm so happy to be here with you this morning. um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about God's mission, right? We're in the series called One Mission. Last week, we talked about how that mission is possible. And this week I'm going to kind of expound a little bit on that and how that mission is possible with love. Um, we have one mission together. It is to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, but Jesus is love. And all the things that we do for him and with him and through him comes out of that love, the love that he has for us. And so today we're going to be in 1 Peter. And 1 Peter is a letter that Peter's writing to Christians all over and they are dealing with conflict, and they are dealing with stress, and they are dealing with persecution, and just terrible, terrible things. And so Peter is writing to them to encourage them. Peter's writing to them to build them up and to remind them of their why, to remind them of who Jesus is, and what he's done in them, and what he's continuing to do in them. But peppered throughout this uh, book is really Peter's Imploring them to remember that at the core of all of these things, at the core of who they are, is love, is God's love. And so as I was going through this, and today, like this sermon's gonna reveal to you a little bit of my process and how I how I walk through scripture and how I talk to the Lord. So bear with me a little bit. But in First Peter, we learn about living for God and how he's talking to the church and how to do that in these hard times. And throughout the Bible, the Lord gives us instruction. He gives us commandments. He gives us all these things. And he gives us the greatest commandment, right? Love God and love people. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 through 40, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. And as I'm talking to the Lord, as I'm praying about this message, I'm like, yeah, but you also say other things. You say, make disciples. You say, take care of widows and orphans. And I'm supposed to love everybody. And I'm supposed to take care of all the things. And Lord, it seems like a lot sometimes. And sometimes love is is the last thing on my mind, if I'm being honest, right? Sometimes we go to those things. We go to that list, right? Our, our, Our good Christian list. We need to tell the world about Jesus. We need to take care of all the homeless and poor people. We need to clean up our community. We need to do, 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 do all these things, right? And the Lord brings us back to love. Without love, all of that is meaningless. Without Jesus, all of that is meaningless. And so I'm going to talk to you about that a little bit today. Today At Faith Center, we do have a mission statement. It is to lead people into a thriving relationship with Jesus by gathering, growing, and going in God's love. But sometimes we forget that the mission is in God's love. And we think about the going and the growing and the gathering and all the things, but the mission is God's love. And so we gather in God's love and we grow in God's lo- love so that we can go out then in God's love. And I, I just kept talking to the Lord and I'm like, okay, that's great, but how? How? That seems so big. It seems so big. And it, it, it sounds like a lot of work to be on all the time, to love people all the time. That sounds like a lot. And so I was reading in First Peter, and the Lord brought me to chapter 4, and today I'm going to share that with you, and we're going to just jump right in. First Peter chapter 4 verse 1 says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised, the world is surprised, that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. Verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply Amen. So in 1 Peter, this chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. We are a bunch of broken people loving a bunch of broken people, right? And that is why Peter says, yes, love each other deeply, but the reason you're loving each other deeply is because it covers a multitude of sin. That doesn't mean it excuses it. That doesn't mean it says it's okay, but it covers. It cares for the person and detests the sin. It loves the sinner and hates the sin. God's called us to a different kind of love, a love that does love deeply. And sometimes I feel like it seems impossible. It seems so big. It just seems impossible. But what the Lord reminded me is he doesn't start with the whole world. He doesn't say, go love everybody. The first thing he starts with is us, right? He changes our heart. He comes into our lives. He shows us what love is. And then he builds a relationship with us. And so we learn to love We learn to love ourselves. We learn to love the Lord. We learn to accept the love that the Lord has for us. And then we're called to share that love. And literally, with the closest person in proximity of us at any given moment, I think sometimes we put things in boxes and we make all of these lists, and maybe that's just me. I'm a list person. But we really are called to love the next immediate person right next to you. But love starts here, inside us. It's, it's easy. It's, it's simple. Greg talked about that last week, about how God's, the, the Lord's yoke is easy and his burden is light, but that's because it fits. God's love fits. It fits inside of us. And so the problem is, is we each have our own view of what love is, right? If you ask somebody, like, what's, what's love? What's perfect love, right? What, what in this world points you to love? Everybody has a different definition, Everybody thinks, you know, this is what it should be, this is what it shouldn't be, this is what it is, this is what it isn't. And then you couple that with the way you were raised or the environment that you exist in or live in or the environment that you work in. How is love demonstrated there? How is love learned there? And then you add to that your brokenness. And I'm like, I'm broken. Other people are broken. I grew up hard. I grew up easy, I grew up whatever, whatever your perception of love was growing up, and you put all those things together, and it's like, okay, Lord, but how do you want me to love? How can you teach me to love, and how can you program me to love like you? Because my view of love is skewed. My view of love is skewed by the things I watch, the things I listen to, the things I hear, the way I grew up, My love is not, the definition of love that I've existed in has not been completely in the love of Jesus. And so I asked the Lord, I'm like, so how? How do we do this? How do we love earnestly? And of course, he pointed me right back to the Holy Spirit. I can't love on my own. I can only love in the power of the Holy Spirit. And John 16, 8 says, when he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And verse 13 says, When he, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive, and he will make known to you. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. That's what this verse says. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. The Holy Spirit speaks to sinners and says, you're doing something wrong. This is not okay. You shouldn't be doing that. That's how the Holy Spirit convicts sinners. The Holy Spirit convicts believers with righteousness. The Holy Spirit convicts believers by reminding us who we are and whose we are. Let's think about it this way take all those things I talked about, all the brokenness, all the ways we were raised, all the, all the images of love in romantic movies, all the things that we've absorbed over our lives of what we think love should or shouldn't be, right? And then we shift, and we talk about the Holy Spirit. And as believers, the Holy Spirit convicts us in our righteousness. He reminds us of who Christ is. He does not convict us like he convicts unbelievers. The Holy Spirit is not the voice in your head that says you are wrong, you are bad, you are ugly, you are not good enough, you're not strong enough, you don't have enough education. That is not the Holy Spirit in your head if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, talks to you and says you are well equipped. You have all of my power. You have all of my glory. You have all of my holiness. You have access to every single thing in my kingdom. You are chosen. You are beloved. You are cared for. You are safe. Those are the words that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And it is through those words and those things that he shifts our heart into a place where we can be closer to him, where we can know what his love means and where we can love each other in that love. The Holy Spirit will always speak life. The Holy Spirit will always remind me of who I am. Even when we fall, even when we make mistakes, as believers we have to learn to change our internal self-dialogue to something of what the Lord wants to speak to us. He wants to speak life over us, so we should be speaking life over us as well. And I think sometimes it's easier to speak life over other people as opposed to speaking life over ourselves right? I'm pretty hard on myself, so sometimes it's like, oh, you messed up again, or oh, you didn't do that right, or oh, you can't do that right. And I think as we, as we grow and as we learn, as we get in the Word, as we become stronger and more mature Christians, we think that those things that we're thinking is the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit will not tell you that you are bad. The Holy Spirit will not tell you you're stupid. The Holy Spirit will not tell you these things. He will say, you are loved. You are cared for. You are made for more. And we get to walk in that. We get to walk in that. We get to change the way that we think so that we get to love each other in that place that the Holy Spirit has loved us. So we are to have an earnest love for each other a holy love for each other. And the thing that I love about First Peter is Peter was the rock, right? Peter was the one that Jesus said, this is my rock upon whom I will build my church. And in First Peter, he really applies this to all of us. We are all part of the body of Christ. We are all the foundation of the church. We are all these little stones. When we're all put together, we get to build a home for people to live in. We get to build the church because the church is A group of people, not a building, right? And so as a group of people, we get to exist in the Lord's love and we get to live together and work together in his love. And part of that is showing hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 9 through 11 says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I think he says that for a reason, right? I don't know about you, but if I think of hospitality and being hospitable, I think I have to clean something right? Right? If I'm going to be hospitable, I'm either going to lunch with somebody, right? So I have to get dressed. I have to get ready. Or I have to invite somebody into my house. Or even if I do a Bible study here, it's like, I got to clean up, got to make sure everything's good. Like for me, hospitality equals work. And so oftentimes, I don't know about you again, just speaking about myself, I find myself grumbling when I'm supposed to be hospitable. And part of this What the Lord brought to my heart is hospitality means to be friendly and generous and welcoming and loving and caring and inviting people into your space so that they feel welcomed and so they feel loved. And the image that the Lord brought to me as I was praying about this was his face, his face. And I think of the greeters that we have and the smiles on their faces as we come in and how the Lord offers hospitality to us. His face is beaming with a glorious smile because he is just so happy. Because you exist. Because you're his. Because he loves you. And he loved us when we were still sinners and he loves us now. And that smile has not gone away. I mean, that's a miracle. I can think of this sometimes that maybe. I don't think God's smiling at me right now. But he is joyful over us. And he invites us into relationship. He invites us into a friendship with him. And that is the the definition of hospitality. An environment of hospitality conveys love and care and joy to just be together. It doesn't grumble. It doesn't complain. It doesn't nitpick all the things that went wrong that you wish wouldn't have went wrong. Hospitality, without grumbling, literally means not complaining, not gossiping, not talking about the things that went wrong or maybe the person next to you that you didn't want to actually show up. Hospitality invites everyone in. And so part of that is living in community. Part of that is making ourselves available. And I told this story last service. When we first moved here, uh, I guess I'd worked here for a while, but Scott and Leslie invited our family to their house for Easter. And honestly, I was overwhelmed with the act of hospitality. Like, you want to invite me and my four children to your house for Easter? Like, if we're going to Grandma's house, that's okay. Grandma owns us. Like, she has to deal with that. But yeah, you don't know what that means. Like, you don't know what that means, bringing four kids. And Lizzie was like six months old when we moved here, so she was probably like two I can't remember. And that in my brain also was like, that's a handful for me. You want me to pack up all the kids? I need to bring some food. I need to do this. I need to do that. And I think my biggest takeaway from that, the invitation meant so much, even though I said no. The invitation meant so much even though I said no, but here's the thing, I lost out, I lost out because I said no. I lost out on the love and care, Leslie and Scott don't care if my kids are a disaster if I bring food or if I don't bring food, but I didn't know that because I didn't go. I didn't know that it was a hospitable environment because I I chose to have walls up that did not allow myself to be invited into an environment of hospitality because of those thoughts in my head. We're not good enough. My kids aren't clean enough. I can't bring food. I'm tired. I'm cranky. I can't turn on my smile. Like Hospitality invites those people in no matter what. But the other side of that is as people, as believers in Christ, we're called to accept that hospitality and reciprocate it. We're called to say yes sometimes when we want to say no even to the invite which is probably the easy part in my brain like i'm not having you over you're having me over right that's the easy part in my brain but we missed out and ironically when i have hard times now like last week i had a had a rough week all i could think about was i want to go hang out with scott and leslie Like, I want to go to Scott and Leslie's house. They'll feed me. They'll love me. I'll get to sit in the sunshine. Like, it'll be nice. But I could have done that years ago. I could have started that that community relationship, that hospitality relationship years ago. But I said no. And thank God she keeps inviting me out. I mean, seriously. But that hospitality starts in our hearts. And it starts right here, just like the love. And that hospitality, the Bible says, we're supposed to teach that to our children. In Matthew 22, 37 through 40, where Jesus is sharing about the greatest commandments to love God and love people, he's quoting Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The love of the Lord is supposed to be written all over us and then passed on from generation to generation. And part of that means Having a spirit of hospitality in your house with yourself, with your partner, with your children, with your coworkers, hello. Have a spirit of hospitality wherever you go because you take Jesus with you, you take Jesus' love with you, and you take that spirit of hospitality that says you are welcome, you are welcome, you are loved, and you are cared for. The other thing is hospitality is contagious. Have you ever, I'm sorry, you can't walk in here and see Roberta and her big smile and like, hey guys, how you doing? And not smile back. And if you choose to, that's your problem, not mine. But love is contagious. Hospitality is contagious. Your attitude is contagious. Science studies have shown that there is a literal measure of energy around your heart that can be measured. Did you know that? This is so cool, I'm such a nerd. You can Google it later. There is electromagnetic energy fields around your heart. And the thing is, is they've studied this, people who are joyful, people who are loving, people who are happy, that field is more energetic, is more active, is more alive. People who aren't, people who may be depressed or anxious or sad or whatever, that field is less energetic. And what they've learned is your field of energy actually contributes to your environment because it's measurable outside of your body. The electrical currents of your heart can actually be measured outside of your body. So whoever you're in proximity to you're affecting. And for me, the takeaway from here is that I want my heart to be joyful. I want my heart to be full of love. I want my heart to be full of hospitality so that whatever I'm affecting feels that. Feels that. Feels Jesus. God created us so amazingly that when we get close to him, when we allow Holy Spirit to operate in us, when we choose to live in his love, we affect others on a physical level. And I want that. I want to get to do that with people. We are all broken people. Loving, broken people. The third point is in First Peter 4, chapter 10 through 11. It says, use your gifts to serve others. Verse 10 says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Use your gifts to build other people up. We are all broken people serving broken people, but God has strategically put all of us in the same house, made all of us the same little bricks to build up a family of God, a community of God, a house of God. And part of that is we're all gifted in different ways, right? We're all gifted in various ways. Some people get up and talk on the stage. Some people sing beautifully. You don't want me to do that. Some people bake food. Come on. I went to a women's conference uh, on Friday. And I've been to some big conferences, big, big things in my life. And I have never seen more desserts in my life. We were at the Fortuna River Lodge, and it was wall to wall, mountains of desserts on tables. Like, I am not joking. And you better bet the women that made those desserts were gifted. Like, they were so good. That was their gifting. That was their calling. And I love how Trina organized the event. Every person that helped, every person that served was serving out of their gifting and out of their calling. She didn't ask somebody who didn't know how to bake to bake cookies. Come on, there's a message there. <laughs> don't ask the person that doesn't know how to make cookies to make cookies because they won't taste good. Oh, I don't know about you, but a good sandwich, I, I, maybe I'm hungry, I don't know. But a good sandwich, there's nothing better than a good sandwich with the perfect ratios of all of the ingredients so that you get a bite of everything in each bite, right? Right? You might not agree with me, but you do know what a bad sandwich tastes like, right? Good sandwich, bad sandwich. There are people gifted to make good sandwiches, and those people exist to make my life better, I feel like. But here's the deal. We think of gifts, like when we talk in church, we think of gifts as these big things. Oh, you're gifted to preach, you're gifted to teach, you're gifted to play the drums, you're gifted to do whatever. Some people are gifted to make cupcakes, and that's okay. And you know what we're called to do? We're called to support each other in their gifts. If your gift is cleaning a house, I will support you in your gift, absolutely. (laughs) But here's the deal. You laugh, but how many times are you like, oh, that person's a housekeeper. Oh, that person cleans houses. Come on. That person that, that has cleaned my house in the past is literally the biggest saint that God has ever bestowed on me. We are gifted as the body of Christ, and we all have to operate. We all have to choose to operate in our gifts also. That's the other thing. You get to choose to operate in your gifts, and if you don't choose that, if you choose to put that pretty little gift up on the mantle and let it acquire dust, it's going to do absolutely nothing. And the Lord's equipped us all to have different gifts for a different purpose because we're all different parts of the body of Christ. So the gifts that we have are there to love and support others. The gifts that we have are to love and serve others. And we get loved and served in return. And it's not a currency. It's a reality. It's an existence. It's abiding in the Lord's love together. It's about us loving and serving each other out of that love. Not because we have to. Sometimes not even because we want to. It's because it's who God is in us. God is love in us. So eventually, we should start getting to the place where that love grows enough that it's not work, that it's not hard, that it's easy because we're existing in what the Holy Spirit has called us to do. Can I tell you, life, doing what the Lord's called me to do is way easier. It's, it's a little crazy, but it's way more peaceful than what it was when I wasn't doing what the Lord called me to do. When you step out in what the Lord calls you to do, especially when we do it together, come on, when we do it together, when you support me and I support you, it's not hard, it's not a burden. I'm not gonna grumble and complain about being hospitable if I have help, right? I had a friend in New Orleans, we, uh, we had really little kids. I had two of my kids in New Orleans and um, she would literally come over just so I could do my dishes. Because I did not, I was in such a place, I did not want to clean a single thing. I didn't want to do anything. And maybe this whole sermon is just telling you about how lazy I am. But <laughs> I was in a space where there are so many dishes, there are so much laundry, there were so many things. But what we did is she would come over and she would talk to me while I did my dishes. She would come over and she would love me while I did my dishes. And it's emotional because it was a really hard time in my life and that's what I needed. I just needed somebody there so that I could get the things that needed to get done, done. And then guess what? I went to her house while she vacuumed and folded laundry and just talked to her. That's community. That's the community that God's called us to do. He's called us to start that in ourselves, start that in our families, absolutely, but he's given us each other to do that together. And it's not so that I get something or you get something, although we will. It's so that we get to exist and abide in a space of peace and love and comfort and care that only exists when the body of Christ comes together to do that for each other when we really live this model of what Peter's talking about, of being the house of God, being all the stones equipped to work together to care for others and to let others care for us. Love is the mortar that holds those bricks together. So God does these things for us, right? He also does these things for us. He loves us. He loves us deeply. He invites us in with hospitality, and he serves us. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. God loves us, God serves us. He does, not expecting anything in return other than to be, to exist, to dwell.